Today I want to begin a new sermon series, and as we do so, I would like, if you would, in your bulletin, you'll see that there's a, um, a summons to the Word. It's taken from Matthew chapter 4, and we do this because of the gravity, the, 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 import, the import, if you will, of what we are about to do as we consider God's Word. So let's, let's, uh, let's read and heed these words together, the summons. Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, I want to start a series this, uh, this Sunday called Redeeming the Routine. Now, I don't know how, how many of you, when you think of the routine, what comes to your mind, uh, for many of us, the routine is simply uh, boring. It's just a sense of boredom. We wake up, we shower, we put your clothes on, we eat breakfast, and you just kind of go through it somewhat like a zombie. You just kind of go through this process of waiting for something, hope, hoping something important will happen in life. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Calvin and Hobbes. Can you, are you able to put that up on the, the screen? My family and I, through the lockdown, have been rediscovering Calvin and Hobbes. We have a number of books, and there's a, there's, I don't know how well you can tell, a little bit blurry, but hopefully you can see that Calvin is getting out of bed here. And he says, every day, it's the same old thing. Go ahead, next to the next slide. And he says, but not today. So he's taking off his pajamas. He's going to do something different today. He's going to do something new, unprecedented. Go ahead into the next slide. I don't know if you can see that or not, but he, uh, he's decided to not bother with any clothes today and head out the door. And you can see his mother, who's uh, you know, trying to catch him. Go ahead and go to the next slide there. He says, <laughs> says, everybody's a slave to routine, right? There's a sense that, boy, we have to do this, this thing every single day. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Ron. Our routine can feel very boring. It, it, it seems that our lives are doomed to the mundane, to the routine. But I want to ask you a question. And maybe for some of you, this, this may not be true. But I want to I just at least consider this question. Think back to when you were a child. And again, I realize this won't work for everyone, but think about this. From your childhood, what were your fondest memories of being with your parents? Think about that. What were some of your fondest memories of being with your parents? Now, for me, well, I can can remember some of the exciting, unusual events, maybe some of the vacations. In fact, one time we went to the World's Fair in Vancouver, it was 1986, and we went there, and it was a, an amazing time. I remember that. But on the whole, I remember the routine things that I did with my parents. I can remember very, very, just very, like it was, like it was yesterday. I can remember the routine of getting groceries with my mother. She would have, we'd be in our car as a Bronco, Ford Bronco. She would have the AM radio on playing the oldies, you know, from the 50s and 60s. And she would, be, she would be singing, and I'd be singing along with her as best as I could. We would be going up and down the aisle at the grocery store. Often I was hanging on, on the, the grocery cart. And I remember, I remember the ways that we would, we would, we would do that. We would come home, and I would help her fold the paper bags and put them away into their proper place. I simply loved doing that with my mom. I can remember even when I was younger, uh, when, when I was probably two, three years old, and my mom would be doing the laundry, and the dryer would go off, you know, the sound would, that, that indicates that the, the clothes are dry, 
and my mom would go to the dryer and she would open it up and she'd put a laundry hamper or a bin right there to empty out all of the the nice warm clean laundry and I at age of three or so would come would come and simply dive into the laundry bin because it was warm especially when it was cold we'd climb all these warm clothes and then as she would sit there at the laundry she'd grab each each uh, you know each um, piece of clothing and I would I would actually grab it and I would lift it up to her and I was just helping her to do the to do the laundry and to fold it those simple memories, those routine memories are something really beautiful. You, you remember those and you, they're, they're there, they're, they're, they're something sacred, something beautiful to them. I can remember going to church every Sunday, singing songs, sitting in the pew, sitting there dying of starvation as the preacher would go on and on and on and on, right? And then finally getting home and we'd, as a family we'd all eat lunch together. It was either, almost always, it was either we had chili or we had hot dogs every Sunday after church. Something simple that mom could just make, make real quick. I remember shoveling snow with my dad and my older brother. We lived in Montana and the winters were longer and we would have plenty of snow. And I remember not enjoying that at all. But looking, what's so amazing, looking back at it, a sense of like enjoyment, a sense of intimacy, a sense of beauty. Why do we remember these things? Why do we remember the routine? And even more than that, why do we remember them so fondly? It's just laundry. It's just groceries. It's just snow. Why do we remember these things so fondly? There's a wonderful children's book that we have in in our home. It's called The Friday Nights of Nana. And it's narrated by a woman recounting her childhood experience of spending Fridays with her Jewish grandmother as they would prepare for the family's Sabbath meal that evening. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And and, and, and that story, in some ways, helps us get to what is going on here. What is it that's sacred here in the routine? Because, see, of course, this is a Jewish family, and they they are doing something that they have done for how long? Centuries, really millennia. This notion of preparing a Sabbath meal, of entering into not merely routine. Are you ready for this? Entering into ritual. Into ritual. See, here in that story, the Friday Nights of Nana, we see something very important happening. Routine is being combined with ritual. Schedule is being combined with story. See, this is, this is key, I want you to see, for this whole series. The Scripture the scriptures use day, the daily routine, various aspects of the daily routine, to describe divine redemption. Let me say that again. The scriptures take aspects of our daily routine, of everything from just waking up in the morning to eating to cleaning. They take these everyday routine activities and they use them to describe Redemption to describe the story of God saving the world. From sleeping to waking to bathing to eating to drinking and commuting, even despite all the massive cultural divide between the ancient Near East and our modern Western world, the Bible infuses the mundane with meaning. It infuses our, our schedule with his story so that, so that the routine is combined with ritual. This morning, I want to do simply one thing. I want to to relate our routine to real life. I want to relate our everyday life to all that's going on in our world every day. See, here's the thing about life, gang. 
I don't care what, what your background is, what your ideology, what your religion is. Every single one of us knows two things about life. One, that life is incredibly beautiful. Just so beautiful. I so appreciated Jim's prayer. Just celebrating the beauty, the wonder of our world. It is, there's so much dignity to humanity. So much wonder to the world we live in. Who can deny that? And yet at the same time, we live in a world that is so dark. So ugly. Humanity is not only dignified, we are depraved. In this world, in real life, there are oceans of both beauty and brutality. And it leads us to ask a question. How will I live my life, my daily life, how will I live my routine in light of these two realities of dignity and depravity, of beauty and brutality? How will I live my life? See, in my daily routine, will, will I ignore the brutal? Will I escape into what is pleasurable? Will I simply only think about what is beautiful, what is lovely, what is great, and just ignore all the hardship, all the pain? Will that be my daily routine? Or, or, or will I be overcome by all that is brutal, all that is dark, all that is painful, and overlook all that is beautiful? How will I keep these things in balance? How will I keep these things in order? in my daily routine. See, it's so easy to get out of order, right? To focus, oh, to just simply become a hedonist and only focus on what is pleasing, what is pleasurable, what is enjoyable, and just ignore all of the injustice, all the hardship. But it's also easy to, to get out of order in the other way. That we just, all we do is read the news, all we are is overwhelmed, we're depressed, we're discouraged, we're cynical, and nothing seems to change. And again, both of those things can impact our daily routine in a major way. And this morning, I want to speak to, especially to those of you who are young. How are you going to live your daily lives? Think about it. As you think about your future, what are you going to do with all the beauty in life? What are you going to do with all the brutality around us? What are we going to do about that? Well, the book of Ecclesiastes has a beautiful answer to that. An answer that may well surprise each and every one of us. In fact, it's an answer that may well make us parents somewhat, um, somewhat, what's the word, uh, sort of a wriggle, a squiggle on our, ch- our chairs a little bit. It's amazing what the author of Ecclesiastes has to say to young persons about this idea of the daily routine. The author of Ecclesiastes, as we'll see here, he actually says that in our routine, we are to do two things. Our routine is, in a sense, to be governed or framed by two, two different things. First, we are to daily rejoice in God's creation. We are to daily rejoice in God's creation, to recognize its beauty, to discern its fragility, to know its tragedy, to expect its tragedy. So first, to daily rejoice in God's creation. Secondly, to daily remember our Creator, the one who is our designer and evaluator. So before I read the text, I want to just, I'm going to pull a little bit of a fast one on you. The book of Ecclesiastes has a key word in it. It's often translated, very English translations often struggle to know how to translate it. The NIV translates that word as meaningless. Okay, but I want to suggest it means something a little bit different from meaningless. It means something more like fleeting. Something more like ungraspable, beyond one's grasp, incomprehensible, uncontrollable, 
unconservable. You can't keep it. Again and again, the author of Ecclesiastes is going to say that life is beyond our grasp. You're not going to ever fully comprehend it. You're never going to fully control it. And you're certainly not going to be able to hold on to it. You're not going to be able to keep it. And again and again, he emphasizes that there's a sense of, of, of life is like, is like sand or like oil in your hands. You just simply cannot contain it, comprehend it, conserve it. So with that in mind, when we go to read our text, when we come to that word, I'm going to translate it a little bit differently. So this is, here now the word of the Lord. This is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I'm going to read into chapter 12. I'm going to start a little early in chapter 11 at verse 7. Here now the word of the Lord. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come cannot be grasped cannot be comprehended. It cannot be controlled. You who are young, be happy while you are young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Now the NIV says, but. And I would almost, I think I would rather translate it and. And know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Verse 10, So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body. For youth and vigor cannot be conserved. They cannot be kept. They cannot be grasped. Chapter 12, verse 1, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come. And the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun, the light, and the moon, and the stars grow dark, and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men stoop. When the grinders cease, because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed, and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond, bud, almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along. And desire no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him. Before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to the God, to God who gave it. Ungraspable, beyond comprehension, beyond understanding, beyond conservation, says the teacher, everything is beyond once grasp the word of the Lord. So in the face of real life, in the midst of all its beauty and of all its brutality, how are we to go about our routines, our daily lives? Again, what I love about the answer that is given here in Ecclesiastes is that it is so candid. 
It is so real. It is so honest. That's what any good parent is with their child. They're honest. There's a sense of candor. They're not hiding either. They're not afraid of the beauty of the world. They're not afraid of the goodness of the world, that somehow it will lead their child astray. Nor are they afraid of the depravity, the darkness of the world, trying to hide their child from it. There's just a beautiful message here where the author is so, again, very candid, very honest, and he says, first and foremost, in the midst of daily life, we are to rejoice in God's creation. Or to rejoice, excuse me, rejoice in God's creation. Look at verses seven, uh, chapter 11, verses 7 through 10. He says, light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. He's saying, verse 7, he says, it is good to be alive. Here, light, so often in the Old Testament, in the Bible in general, light is symbolic of life. He's saying life is sweet. And then this idea of seeing, to, to be alive is to be one who sees. When people die, they no longer see. And it says, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. He says it's good to be alive. There's, in the midst of, all, if you've read Ecclesiastes the, the, up to these first ten chapters, he has discovered all the hardships, the challenges, the difficulties of life. So he's not being naive. It's not as though he doesn't know how hard it is. He says even in the midst of his being as hard as it is, life is still good. It is good to be alive. And then he says, throughout life, rejoice, recognizing all that is beautiful. Verse 8, however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. Isn't that amazing? Some people, they hear that, is that really in the Bible? In our daily routines, brothers and sisters, God is calling us to enjoy his world, to enjoy the, the world of its creation. Again, I so appreciated Jim's prayer, just this notion of, of looking around us, stopping and enjoying the world around us, enjoying one another, enjoying food, enjoying drink, enjoying our work. So this notion, first and foremost, is to rejoice in God's creation, recognizing its beauty. Well, again, look at verse 8, but also its tragedy. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. He's saying it is good to be alive and to enjoy life. But understand this, we are to be ready to prepare for tragedy. So it's neither some sort of hedonistic escapism, but nor is it merely a cynicism that just is overcome. It's, I am going to enjoy this day. No matter what is going on in this world, I am going to enjoy my life today. But I'm also going to recognize that this isn't going to last forever. That the days of darkness will be many. That they are coming. And at the end of the day, none of this, I can't hold on to any of it. He says at the end of verse 8, everything to come cannot be grasped. It won't be comprehended. You won't understand it. You won't be able to control it. And you certainly won't be able to keep it. So he continues in verse 9, you who are young, this is the advice to young men and women, especially young men, you who are young, be happy while you are young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. He says, rejoice. Recognize the joy, the, 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 the wonder of being young of being youthful. He says, revel in that. Enjoy it while it lasts. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. He says, follow the ways of your heart, verse 9, and whatever your eyes see. 
Listen to this, young persons especially. It is so good to ask this question. What do I enjoy? What do I enjoy? What energizes me? What makes me passionate? Because that, that is from the Lord. It is from God. And it's unique to, to the specific person. It is from Him. He is your, as we're going to see, He is your maker. And He is the one who gives us passions and a heart for this or that activity or this or that occupation or this or that concern, that cause. And we are to say, he exhorts us to listen to our hearts and to follow the ways, I love that phrase, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. And then he couches it in the context of one who is our creator, of one who is our evaluator. He says, but or and know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. In the NIV translation there, it, 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 it sounds quite negative. It's like, God's going to judge you. It's like, go do what you want, but then know that God's going to judge. That's what he's saying. He's saying, follow your heart and know that God is the sole evaluator. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. All that you do will be weighed and evaluated, sifted by him. He's saying that your actions matter to God. That is so beautiful. It doesn't matter if anyone else doesn't like thinks what you're doing is dumb. It doesn't matter if anyone else thinks, oh, you're just you're just an electrician, you're just a plumber, you're just this, you're just whatever. Whatever it is you love to do, do it and do it with all your heart. Not care what people think. He alone is your judge. He alone is your evaluator. Verse 10. So then, this is so beautiful. Banish anxiety from your heart. Like, look, young people. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to figure life out. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Just, just live each day. Enjoy the day. Don't be anxious. Just banish anxiety from your heart. Cast off troubles from your body. He's saying, he's saying this. Don't let life stress you out. It's just not worth it. It's just not. You're never going to be able to figure it out. You'll never be able to control it. You'll never be able to grasp it. He says here, for youth and vigor cannot be grasped. That is, they can't be conserved or kept. There's a fragility there to life. And our daily routines are to be, to be framed by this idea of rejoicing in the creation, recognizing all of its beauty, recognizing its depravity, recognizing its fragility, that it is here and tomorrow is gone. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, one of, uh, I've read a number of books for the last five, six years on race and racism. And there's this one particular book, it's a memoir uh, of a woman who lived in the Jim Crow South. And it's, so she, this is the first half of the 20th century. She tells her story, she's Afro-American, she was, uh, uh, she was married, um, she's just an amazing woman. And her, her memoir is captured by her granddaughters. Her granddaughters were um, both PhDs in history and sociology, and they wanted to capture this era of their, mom, their, their mom's life as a, just a, a, an amazing part of history, of course. And her, 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 their grandmother had grown up in, um, in Charleston, South Carolina, in the Jim Crow South. And it's so interesting to read the granddaughters and how they describe their mom's experience. Listen to this. Here's her mother living, and their grandmother living in the Jim Crow South. And this is how they describe the memoir, okay? So the, the granddaughters write, quote, Matters of race and color are a permanent presence in our grandmother's memoir. 
without being her principal subject. Got that? In other words, think about it. Jim Crow South, you're Afro-American. Man, it's, imagine how dominant that would be. But the idea is, he says, no, no, in my mom's story, those things were there, but they weren't the principal subject. That she continues, they are constituent to life, but they do not define life. Isn't that good? So, for example, my grandmother fondly remembers the details of her very fancy wedding, a black affair from beginning to end, but yet notices that curious white people from the neighborhood slipped into Wesley Church's gallery silently to behold the occasion's splendor. On the other hand, when she decided to go to Boston and to, and to get her trousseau and, to, and, to ta- and, and she took the Clyde Line ship, she did not at first remember whether it was segregated or not. She didn't remember if the ship was segregated. Of course, was, was, it, was it segregated? Of course it was. But that, she, well, that wasn't part of her memory. It didn't define who she was. So here's this woman living in the Jim Crow South, and she knows that there's lots of days of darkness. She knows that she lives in a world that is so brutal. And yet in her memoirs, she's a, a wonderful believer, a wonderful woman of God. She follows exactly Exactly what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying. She enjoys life to the hilt. And yet she knows that there are days of darkness. Such a beautiful, a beautiful way of capturing how we are to live in the world. So first, in the face of real life, in all its beauty and brutality, we are to rejoice in God's creation. We are to recognize its beauty, its tragedy, its fragility to see the ways that he has given us passions and, and, and given us uh, burdens to do certain things. <clears throat> but second, we're to daily remember our creator, to remember the one who is our designer, our evaluator. Look at verse, chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Now here, when the, when the author says to remember, he means to keep, keep, someone, keep someone or something in focus. We're to keep our creator in focus. Why? Listen, this is so important. God knows how you were made. He knows you inside and out. He knows every fiber of your being. He knows what you need and listen to this. He cares for you infinitely more than you care for yourself. You know, as creator, when you make something, let's say you make, like a, you draw something, you as the creator get to decide how important it is to you. You can be like, ah, you throw it in the trash, no big deal. I'm going to think, oh yeah, this is great. I'm going to hang this up. You get to decide as the, as the author, as the creator, and he places such value on us. Remember there is one who values you. In the midst of all your sin, all your struggle, your creator doesn't, listen to this, he doesn't make junk. He only makes masterpieces. Know your worth. Know that you are loved, that you are cared about. Remember your creator, he says, in the days of your youth, before the days, uh, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you say, 
I will find no pleasure in them. Ask yourself, I only have so much time. What am I going to do with it? How should I inform, how, how should that inform my daily life? You know, I often, uh, uh, just, just the YMCA just started, started opening up in sort of a modified way, and so I was going to, um, going to work out there, and there were several other guys that I, I know from the gym, and we were all complaining because we just weren't as strong as we used to be. We were out of shape, and, and, uh, and then um, uh, as we were sitting there complaining and talking or whatever, uh, a guy walked, or uh, someone came by us, and, and he was in a wheelchair. That suddenly put the whole workout in a different perspective. Do you know what he would give to be able to get up and do what we're doing? Right? I mean, our time is so fleeting. Right? In fact, I looked away and I saw an elderly woman. She was on the treadmill walking slowly. And I realized, man, my life is so short. What will I do with my daily life? How will I shape it? I can think of, listen, I think Harrison now, my son Harrison's three, a little over three months old. I think there's only, this is a full confession, full disclosure here. I think I've changed his diaper maybe once or twice so far. And the one time I did it, I was complaining. And, and I was complaining because it, it got everywhere. And I, you know, I was doing this right here, right? And, and I, in that moment, God, by his grace, he, he enabled me to remember that this is our last one. This is, my last, this is our last one. I won't ever have the opportunity to change diapers again. I won't, I won't have the opportunity to have a little 12-pound person in my house. The time is so short, it's so fleeting. And these, what follows in verses 2 through 8 is a powerful, sometimes enigmatic description of decline. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and years approach and you'll say, I find no pleasure in them. And he talks about in verse 2, he gives this analogy of how at the end of our lives, you know, our our vision, our our eyesight gets worse and life just kind of grows dim. And the world as we know it ends. Before the sun, the light, and the moon, the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. That phrase, the clouds return after the rain, is probably a a reference to the agricultural cycle. It's the time of year. It would be like, if we 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 would say it this way, before life, before we enter into the autumn of our lives. It speaks of, uh, verse 3, speaks of when the keepers of the house tremble. Speaking of, it's very common in the ancient world for the human body to be, uh, to be, um, to be symbolized by a house, by a household. And here there's this notion of, of the, a household in decline. The keepers of the house are getting old, they, they tremble. And those who were once strong men, they, they, they stoop, they, they, they bend over. When the grinders, probably perhaps the grinders might well be women or maid servants who are grinding, trying to make, uh, trying to make um, various kinds of bread products and, and, and agricultural products. And when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim, 
Uh, that's possibly a reference to the, to the women of to the women of uh, prominence who don't have to work, and so they're simply looking through a window. But they themselves are getting old. Verse four: When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, you can tell there's no, no longer much commerce in the house. Things are quieter. Uh, the routine, all the daily normal life, the routines of of previous years, that's gone. And this, this, uh, the, when people rise up at the sound of birds. But all their, strong, all their songs grow faint. In other words, as you get older, you don't get up as early. You, you rise up about, this, about the time when the birds start to sing, but you can't, you can't really hear them anymore. The songs grow faint because you, you're losing your hearing. Verse 5, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, often as persons get older, there are more fears, more concerns, more anxieties. When the almond tree blossoms and the, and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Again, these are agricultural analogies that the almond tree is, uh, is blossoms in the spring. And, and the spring, of course, being symbolic of youth. So that you've already blossomed. You're physically, you, you've blossomed. You're past your prime. Your years are over. The grasshopper drags itself along. It might well be a reference to the notion of a, of a locust eating, eating away at your, um, at your, 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 your um, whatever produce you have. And so much we go through life and realize how much is wasted, how much time is wasted, how much the, the locusts consume of our lives, and we never get it back. And it says, and, and, and desire no longer is stirred most likely a reference to simply old age and the loss of the ability to, to, you know, to, to engage in sexual intimacy. That at some point, that routine, uh, that marital routine will be lost and desire will no longer be stirred. And then, then says the author of Ecclesiastes, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. So remember him, verse 6. Remember him, and then again, switching metaphors from a, the human being as a household to a human being as a, as a, as a piece of, um, of, of pottery or a piece of some sort of a household item, a bowl or a pitcher. It's very common that in the ancient world that humans would be compared to vessels, especially precious vessels of gold or silver. And the idea here is that, that this is a vessel and it's precious, but once it breaks, what? It's broken. And that's it. Its use is gone. It has to be melted down. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. Saying, remember him. Remember him because there's no going back. Eventually, all of us as precious vessels will be broken. We will be shattered we will be, we will be uh, in a sense, uh, unrestorable. Verse 7, And the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the Spirit returns to the God who gave it. So what does the author of Ecclesiastes have to say to us this morning? He says, In your daily routine, rejoice in the creation. Rejoice in it, in all of its beauty, in all of its tragedy. Recognize it, be ready for it. In all of its fragility, follow the passions of your heart, the burdens, the longings that you have. Do that. That's from the Lord. He says, remember your creator. Remember there is one who made you, who loves you, who knows you inside out, who knows what you need. Remember him in the days of your youth. Before, before 
that the days of darkness settle in. So let me conclude with Jesus. Jesus himself said these words, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? That Jesus himself is our guide in the midst of the routine. As, just as we open and we'll close, when Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon me. Right? It's, it's such a beautiful phrase. It's the idea of a yoke. And that we're to place it upon ourselves, and he will lead us gently, humbly, kindly. It's almost like, if we, were to use a, if we were to use a contemporary analogy, it would be like Jesus comes to us. Are you ready for this? He comes to us as almost like a personal trainer. He knows our unhealth. He knows that we need to get to be healthy. He's not going to demand that we do a thousand pounds. He's not going to overwhelm us with immediate impossibilities. He's going to lead us gently, day by day, in a routine towards health. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, um, Father, how easy it is, Father, to, uh, to, on the one hand, simply refuse, to refuse to enjoy life, to worry, to fear, Father, to be gross cynical and jaded, and to, just, and to blind ourselves to the beauty, the wonder of your creation. And Father, at the same time, how, how easy it is too often just to distract ourselves to lose ourselves in simple pleasures, to lose sight of our responsibility to live and to love and to sacrifice. Father, I pray that for each and every one of us, our routines would be redeemed, would be redeemed by the wisdom of your word. Father, I pray that you would give us a humility and a freedom to enjoy life, to live in the present, to live in the moment, to taste and see that you are good to pause and to look around at our family and friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord, and to drink them in, to savor who you are and what you have done, to savor the, the beauty of this world. Father, I pray too that we would, tr we would truly remember who you are, that we would live our lives before you as our creator, our redeemer, our judge. We would live in the freedom knowing that your opinion and yours alone is the only one that matters. That you would free us. Father, please free us to pursue the burdens, the passions, the longings, the dreams that you have given to us. And may we do so knowing fully that you look down upon us and because of the blood of your Son, you smile. You favor us. You delight in us. Father, please, I pray that everyone would hear this morning would know how much you love them. Father, we love you. We pray all of these things in the mighty, the merciful name of Jesus. Amen.